0: What's the number one thing that causes us the most pain, keeps us blocked from our goals, and from achieving our next level of greatness? It's actually our blind spots. It's a phrase that you've heard me and coaches like me discuss many times in the past, but the challenge is you don't see your blind spots for yourself. And this week on the Life Amplified podcast, you're gonna get a practical example of how effective coaching can help you get to the heart of what's keeping you stuck. More specifically, the client I'm talking to this week has had a 40-year block in romantic relationships that's kept her pushing men away and living in avoidance. But why? We're going to get to the root cause of that pattern in less than 17 minutes, and I trust that this week is going to offer you a big breakthrough as well. Welcome back. What is an amplified life? It's having amplified relationships with people who support and encourage you to be your best. It's having amplified energy to conquer the challenges of the day, and it's having an amplified career, one that's meaningful to you, the world, and your bank accounts. I'm Dan Mason, Life Reinvention Coach, helping you discover your calling and create an amplified life on your terms. This is the Life Amplified Podcast. I've had the privilege of coaching clients in 17 countries, and every single person who's ever come to me wants to correct the mistakes that they're making in life that are keeping them stuck. Nobody wakes up in the morning, yawns and stretches, and says, wow, can't wait to get out there and sabotage my relationships, my finances, my health, my career, and yet... So often, we can find ourselves spinning down the drain and ending up in these familiar patterns of behavior that we just can't seem to move beyond. But before we can correct any of the mistakes that we're making in the game of life, we first have to see it as a mistake. And the reason that we fail to do so is because many times we have competing ideas about what we believe the problem really is. More specifically, we direct our attention away from our own characteristic errors and our internal misperceptions of thought, and we focus on the external causes of the problem. And this is the very definition of a blind spot. However, there's a couple others that are very sneaky and can be very prevalent, and I want to draw your attention to them right now before we get into this special coaching session that I'm going to share with you today. A lot of times, one of the things that keeps us stuck is intellectualization. How many times does a therapist or a coach or even your family or friends ask you how you're feeling for you to respond with what you're thinking? Intellectualizing happens when we remove all the emotion from a situation and focus on what we believe the facts are, looking for evidence, and that can create a lot of he said, she said in our conversations. Another subtle blind spot that keeps people stuck is rationalization. It's when you're trying to logically justify an undesirable behavior with your own set of facts. And a lot of times when you do this, you can feel better about whatever choices you've made, even if you know on a deeper level that what you're engaging in isn't right and it isn't moving you forward. Now, an an extreme example of this would be someone who physically abuses their spouse or hits their child, but tells themselves, well, they had it coming because they were being obnoxious. You know, that's a very far-fetched example, but it shows you how rationalization can keep us stuck. Uh, In many cases... We can also engage in compartmentalization, and this is always a result when there's some trauma in childhood uh, that created an avoidant attachment style. But basically, this is what happens when you separate your life into a bunch of little boxes, but you don't want to let those boxes touch. A colleague of mine once told me a story about a client of hers who was embezzling and stealing money from the company, but would focus his energy on what a great parent he is and how he's saving for his for his children's education. And compartmentalization can be helpful if you have a, a big disagreement with your spouse in the morning, but you have to go deliver a big presentation at work. Obviously, you don't want to get in there and stand in the conference room crying in front of everybody. But when we do it all the time and when we do it with everything, we can create distance between ourselves and others and create distance from our own soul, from our own psyche. So with all that being said, I want you to listen to this clip from a recent coaching training that I did all about attachment patterns. And I want to be very clear that we are using this on the podcast with permission of the lovely young lady that I have the opportunity to coach. So we always respect privacy in my coaching circles, but this is used with permission. And we have deleted her name from the conversation to maintain her privacy. But notice as we talk about some of the blind spots that I just discussed, how many of them are in play here? As she discusses what is ultimately the big problem she's facing, a 40-year pattern of avoidance in romantic relationships. Every time a man approaches her, she runs for the hills. It's not really what she wants to do, but like many of our blind spots, these are survival tactics, and they protect us from emotional vulnerability. And what we'll demonstrate for you in this 17-minute laser coaching is how quickly we can get to the real reason that you're stuck. Not all the surface level explanations you give yourself, but the emotional root cause. So check out this quick coaching and I'll be back on the back end to give you a few lessons and some takeaways that you can implement in your life.
1: Dan, I do have a question. I saw myself or I see myself and the anxious Um, attachment and the avoidant does that make sense that like you're crossing over different forms of avoid uh, different forms of attachment
0: yeah it can I mean look disorganized attachment is a thing where people are both even for people who are disorganized we usually have one that we lean more than the other so oftentimes like in relationships people who are anxious will get super anxious, super anxious, right? They're, they're not getting their needs met. So what do they'll do? They'll act out in some way to create an emotional upheaval in the relationship. So that might be having a temper tantrum. That might be looking outside the relationship for attention elsewhere, which becomes what? A form of avoidance. <laughs> so we are sort of like, I'm super anxious, super anxious. Well, fuck it. I'm gonna leave them before they leave me first. So I'm gonna go over here on Tinder Like that can play out, right? Is there anything specifically that you wanted to talk about in in terms of attachment?
1: No, nothing specific. I just, I thought it was interesting because as you started to speak, honestly, I saw a lot of myself in secure attachment too. I saw a lot of myself there. So I was like, okay. Where are
0: the the relationships that you were secure?
1: I have very secure relationships within my family. So I'm very, very close to my brother. Very close. Like he is the guy who kind of shows, he's the the super safe person in my life, especially when we first started. I'm like, my parents are amazing. When I describe my life, honestly, it sounds like, you know, I grew up in Mayberry, USA. My parents were amazing. But then like little by little, as you start like, you know, unpacking some stuff, I'm like, oh, well, there was that, you know, where you realize, you know, even very well-meaning people who show up, who love you, there's no doubt in my mind that, you know, I was loved, my entire life, my parents showed up, they were there the whole nine, but you know, they had their own wounds. So like, sometimes things would happen that I was like, Whoa, what was that? So, but, and now I'm seeing that later is manifesting itself in my life with how I show up with people, especially at work. Especially, and I think at work, cause I'm not avoiding, um, I have no personal relationship with anyone. Like, you know, I'm not dating anyone. I'm not seeing anybody. That's a whole nother show, Dan. That's a whole nother show. But I, because that's pure avoidance, you know, like people look at me and go, hey, I think you're pretty, and they can't even get, you know, eat out because I'm down the street. Like, I don't want to hear it. I got to move on. Like, afraid to attach myself to someone in that way. Like, afraid that, you know, there's going to be harm brought by this person. So I just keep it moving.
0: So tell so tell me more about that. Like, when somebody comes up or they attach you, uh, attach, you, uh, attach they you they to you, hopefully not
1: attach to you.
0: That, if, and if they are, no wonder you're avoidant. That might actually be setting a secure boundary. Um, <laughs> if somebody is approaching you in a flirtatious manner or they want to pursue and you're out, tell me more about that. What's what's going on there? What is sort of the story? If, if the behavior is I'm out the door, what is the story that you have underneath that?
1: Very recently, when I say recently, like within the past couple of years, I've realized that I guess through messaging, through messaging that I received from my family, from people that I love and care about, I've received messages that make me feel like, you know, I'm not, I'm not worthy. Like you're going to show up, you're going to start talking to me. And then you said something earlier that resonated. You're going to meet the real me and then go, no, I don't want her.
0: Ah, got it. So the story that you have is what, that if they really get to know me they couldn't love me? Yeah. Like, you know,
1: because I, I hear messages even in my in my role at, at work you know well it can be very demanding you can be um very not people don't say pushy, but like intimidating. Um, you make people feel a little uncomfortable, which honestly, Dan, I'm like the nicest person. That's not me at all. <laughs> For whatever, people will give me stories like, well, you know, when people come across as very highly competent, they also come across as intimidating. And I'm like, is that true? Cause I don't think there's anything wrong with being competent, but I don't hide my competence. And I don't try to make anybody else feel less than because of how I'm showing up. I don't feel that I do that. So, I feel like when people say those kind of things to me, honestly, I feel like that's their stuff.
0: So, guys, I just want you to notice I'm poking at something about relationships and what is she doing?
1: What am I doing? Oh, my God.
0: He's run over here to talk about work. Do you notice that the minute a male coach starts asking about relationships, she's doing the pattern? She's out. But, Dan, oh, well, let's shiny object over here. Let's talk about work. Yeah, girl. So just, the story is, is they'll, they'll leave me if they get to know the real me. Yes. Think about the last time that that came up for you, that a gentleman caller showed up and, and that you were in that story where you're... And see if you can check in with your body, what emotion, what is the feeling that you have underneath that story?
1: Like fear. Okay.
0: Is there anything else with the fear?
1: I'm not sure how to answer that. But I guess it was, um, this is kind of weird because the last relationship wasn't really a relationship. It was kind of like a relationship of convenience. A like situationship. We it was more of a situationship. But that, that was literally the last relationship.
0: I'm curious. You said that there, was, that there is fear underneath the story of they'll leave me if they know the real me. Yeah. So where do you feel that fear in your body? Where does that come up for you when you think about that?
1: Literally? Like, where does it... I feel like, like in the solar plexus, like right in the center.
0: Yeah. So, like, where, like, around the sternum, like up underneath yeah, the sternum. Yeah, like,
1: yeah. And you know what? Thank you. That was the perfect word because it's not the belly, it's more like the chest area.
0: Sure. Which, by the way, a, a little neuroscience for you. We like a lot of times, like, when we talk about trauma, and I could do a whole thing on polyvagal theories or all the things I geek out on and teach about over in my group. But the vagus nerve, starts down here in your diaphragm and it goes straight up the center of your body. It's the one nerve that touches every major organ in your body comes straight up the center of your body. It comes up the right side of the neck and right back in through the base of your skull, back into that reptilian part of the brain. And the nervous and the vagus nerve is where all the trauma responses travel up and down. And the point right here around the sternum, like underneath that breastbone, is sort of the difference between where there is, like once it gets up here, it's heavily myelinated, meaning myelin is sort of that protective coating that helps us create habits. So where the part down here below the sternum is unmyelinated. So when we're having a reaction that's down here more in the stomach, where you start to get sick to your stomach in a trauma response, or if you notice, like a lot of times people notice that they got IBS or things like that, That's actually a shutdown response of the nervous system when there is like a red light response that something is so dangerous, I can't, that I can't run from it and I can't hide from it. So literally I'm just preparing myself for death. That turns into the shutdown. Everything up here above the sternum is more anxiety. It's fight or flight response when we go into, you know, and everybody knows what fight or flight is. But this little space right here in the middle is a lot of time where that energy gets blocked for people because it's right there at that connection point between the two responses. So that's interesting biologically that where you feel that energy. But I'm gonna take you one step further. If you just close your eyes and you check in and allow yourself to feel that energy. And even if you could think of an experience consciously, like in a relationship or being pursued where you felt that energy at a high intensity, like at an eight, nine, or 10. If you just allow yourself to feel it, can you get there? Do you feel that energy?
1: I'm there and I feel some of the energy. I, I don't feel it at, at the intenseness that I did at the time, but yes.
0: So check in and just put your hand there, wherever you feel that energy, put your hands there and ask, what age is this part of
1: me? What age is this part of me?
0: And just notice what comes up.
1: Okay. As freaky like the number 21 just popped up
0: what was happening around age 21 with the relationships
1: I don't remember
0: normal response is when people say I don't know that's normally a dissociative response and we don't have to go there and, and press what on are you it
1: about me Dan what are you saying about me?
0: <laughs> I'm not saying anything well, I'm just actually- simply I've done this work I've done probably 10,000 client hours with people and I this is a very typical response that sometimes we kind of shut down and want to disassociate from whatever was going on there. But if, if you sort of check in, let, we can try it from a different angle. If you just feel that energy and underneath that energy of fear, as you said, there is a belief. What belief is associated with that feeling?
1: What I felt was, um, it feels weird that, um, I don't even know how to put it into words. It just, it felt like it wasn't real. It's the best way to phrase it. It felt like what I was experiencing wasn't real. Like the feelings that I was going through, the relationship that I was having, it didn't feel real. As if, you know, almost like you're walking through a dream. Like I was there, I I met the guy, we're dating, all stuff is happening, but it didn't feel real. Like it was like a bubble that was going to burst at some point.
0: Tell me more about that. It was a bubble that was going to burst.
1: Right. So it, it felt like this is fun for now, but it's not going to last. But that go, part of
0: you where that energy is, why will it not last?
1: Yeah, I don't know. You know, because both my parents were, were happily married. They married before they had me. They stayed married until my dad passed away. It was the same situation with my mother's parents and my father's parents. I assumed, how old were you
0: when dad passed away? I
1: don't have to say how old I was. <laughs> I was 50. Fifty when my dad passed away. Fifty? Yep. How the hell old are you now? Yeah, that's why I didn't want to say that, bro. Yeah. yeah.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I literally thought you were like 27, 28 years old.
1: Okay. I I need to get more of you like every single day. I
0: I literally thought like top she's 30 years old. (laughs) But okay. But where did you learn that good things don't last?
1: Now see that, honest to God, I don't know. Because when I replayed, and maybe it's just buried really deep in, but when I replay the tape on my life, I mean, good things happened. I had a good life. Like I, I, don't, I, I don't have, I don't look back and go, oh my God, it was this horrible thing or that. I mean, I had like really good stuff happening to me. So I don't, I think it was more like little things that happened. It weren't like big traumas. They were like little, little things that added up. Mm.
0: By the way, look, a lot of people tried to qualify their grief. A lot of people try to dismiss their grief, right? It's like people are like, oh, well, I don't have trauma because I didn't have this huge catastrophic thing. It doesn't matter. Big T, little T trauma, it registers in the body the same way.
1: You know, that's really weird that you said that because something that just came up, because I truly have been like really trying to be honest and like tell the truth. Mm -hmm. But something that just came up as you said this was that when I was eight years old, I had an aunt, my mother's sister, who I'm like about to cry actually, because she was amazing. We were very, very close. And in fact, like when she was around, my mother was, she was her and my aunt was my mom. I loved my aunt. I adored her. In fact, I became a nurse because she was killed in her last semester of nursing school. That's all she ever wanted to do. And I felt like I had to finish her dream for her. So I became a nurse. But she was killed in a car crash when I was eight years old.
0: There you go. And what did you learn about life or what meaning did you assign to that? It's not it's the meaning that you assigned to it. And if you could check in with eight year old and ask her what she learned about what she learned, what, what she made that mean.
1: The people you love can go away really suddenly
0: you're doing awesome
1: forgotten about that it wasn't about 80 guy crazy I cannot believe this just happened thanks Dan so what do you
0: believe if your aunts were here with us right now what do you think she would want for you when it comes to relationships
1: no doubt in my mind she would want me to be happy she would want me to be in a loving supportive relationship because she was in one she had a beautiful and-
0: and if we step out of the pattern of hey a man approaches me i'm out (laughs) and if you could like if i could speak to your uh, to your soul right now if we could just bring your soul to the table what is it that you would like
1: i want the same thing that she would want i mean i i want a loving relationship i want attachment i want um i want to believe i can meet my No, I do believe. I don't want to believe. I do believe um, I will meet my soulmate and I will meet like, you know, my best friend, my partner, my road dog. You
0: have to allow it. And if there is a part of you subconsciously, guys, this is like the breakthrough for everybody. It doesn't matter what the fuck you want consciously in your mind. I want more money. I want to have a partner. I want to start my business. If you don't have it, the only reason is because there is a part of you subconsciously that views having that thing as a threat. And what we're learning is that, remember, sometimes you know we can start out in secure attachment. She had great parents. This isn't mom and dad shit, right? But she also had a very secure attachment with an aunt who was a safe place when mom wasn't around. And the secure attachment ended and that there was a meaning assigned to that. So your body doesn't lie. All those things, all those traumatic memories are stored here in the body. And that's what the real work is, right? There's nothing that you're going, there's no advancement you're going to create in your life through thinking. Wherever you're at in your life right now, your best thinking got you there. The wisdom, the healing is all here. And notice how quickly when I started poking around, like poking the bear on that, that the instinct from an eco perspective is just like, <laughs> no, we're going to go over here. We're going to change the subject. So this is, you know, this is really going to be part of your healing. And, and, you know, it's not like we have time for a, a deep dive intervention, but I would really encourage you to spend some time with that eight-year-old girl to let her know that you're not going to leave her and that you're going to make the right decisions to that you're going to allow her to experience that love and allow her to be nurtured and that you got her back because until she's on board, you'll find ways to push away. How do you feel right now?
1: Amazing. I feel um, um, lighter. Yeah,
0: it's what happens. That's, that is what happens when we re- literally release trauma energetically. So, because a lot of times these attachment conversations can be about Mom and dad, what they did, what they didn't. This has nothing to do with that. That you can have wonderful parents, but still have attachment trauma. So awesome work today. Good stuff, my friend. Thank you. What would be the difference in your life if you got to the emotional root cause of what's keeping you from creating the results that you want? And what if you were literally only 17 minutes away from a breakthrough? I wanna be clear, that isn't something that we really edited down other than taking out references to the client's name. So this isn't like it was a three-hour process condensed into 17 minutes. That's how quickly you can break through with the right coaching in your corner. And the thing that so many of us do is we try to diagnose ourselves. We try to see our own blind spots, which is literally impossible. It's called a blind spot for a reason. So, having the perspective of somebody outside of you who can call out those patterns, notice all of the blind spots and the survival mechanisms that were in play to try to protect that emotional vulnerability of dealing with the loss of her aunt. She was completely in intellectualization, trying to remove all emotion from, uh, from what happened and focusing on what she believed that the facts were. By the way, the facts she had convinced herself with the pro- were the problem weren't even the real issue. You know, She was talking about all these messages that she got. If people saw the real me, they would leave me. That wasn't entirely it. There was just a core attachment trauma with somebody that was very close to her and a fear that anybody will leave me if I get too close to them. So if that is the subconscious model of reality that you're operating under, why would you ever allow yourself to get close in a relationship? But as they say, when you know better, you do better. So I hope that this was a powerful learning opportunity for you. Uh, For those of you who've been on the fence, you're not sure what coaching is about. I hope this gives you really good clarity on what this modality is and, and how quickly we can get to the emotional root cause, get you out of your head and back into your body and your heart, where all the wisdom is. And by the way, I do have some spots open if you would like to get through a quick breakthrough in your life. Uh, you can go to my website, CreativeSoulCoaching.net. Fill out an application. We'll jump on a complimentary discovery call. Talk about where you're at in your life, where you want to go, and how I can quickly help you accelerate those results. Also, if this podcast was beneficial for you, please screenshot it. You can upload this episode to Instagram, Twitter. Post it in your stories. Be sure to tag me at CSC Dan Mason. Also, if you're so inclined, you can leave us those five star ratings and reviews on Apple or Just be sure to give us a follow on whatever podcast platform that you're listening to so you can get those updates every time we release a new episode. And it is an honor to serve you. I would love to help you break through. Creativesoulcoaching.net is where you find me on the web, and we have all those links in the show notes as well. In the meantime, turn down the volume on your negativity. Turn up the volume on your purpose so you can live life amplified. I'll talk to you next week.